Hi Pratik, welcome to Network Capital. Through uh, these series of fellowships, masterclasses, and podcasts, we try and demystify career principles. You've led a really interesting career spanning public policy, uh, education, edtech, etc., and now you're doing something very entrepreneurial. So, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what do you do today? First of all, thanks, Utkarsh, for having me. Uh, I'm sort of getting used to the network capital and the power of network capital, so as to say. And, and once you sort of uh, get into it, it, there's no end to it. Uh, that's how strong network capital is. For thank you so much for setting up such sort a of powerful tool. Uh, and to your uh, coming to your question on entrepreneurship, uh, how I started this journey, uh, I think this journey has its roots in in the way I have been sort of brought up. I come from a middle class family, uh, you know, family of uh, mostly people. who are working class uh, in public sector uh, you know always had to sort of uh, you know make sure the 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 next uh, you know thing is made on my own the opportunity has to be created on my own so i think that seed of entrepreneurship was laid pretty early on wherein you had to create opportunities and nothing would be served on the platter for you right so that's that's the genesis of it right the, the struggle of of uh, you know living in a middle class home but having aspirations of of upper middle class and rich class right so you know when when everything was available on tv you could see it but not on you had to earn your way to actually be there and be be at that place right so uh, i mean my journey started off when i made a tough call of of not entering the financial sector i mean i graduated from narsi munji in 2010 with a finance degree and then i had the option of of actually getting into the finance world but the finance world by then had become really murky uh, and and that sort of catalyzed my way uh, you know entry into the education sector it was it was one of the main reasons because the world was so shaken uh, by in 2009 with the financial crisis i made a choice to to buck the trend and leave uh, finance and join the education sector so my first job was with crystal ratings where i started a new product it called the education's rating uh, product wherein we were rating quality of higher education in this country and that's where entrepreneurial spirit came in because first job you are actually doing something uh, which is which is Uh, which is actually new and not established and you have to set up everything from day one and then obviously teach for india i mean um, have to say that whatever I'm, i am today is because of teach for india the two years i spent uh, you know juggling with uh, 60 you know uh, beautiful uh, kids uh, in in uh, slums of mumbai uh, wherein uh, i didn't know uh, you know a, a word of how to teach uh, you know uh, i myself struggled a lot with mathematics teaching that mathematics to grade 3 and grade 4 struggling uh, with with teaching them english because they all came from uh, you know backgrounds where english was aspirational but but still nobody spoke english in their family or they couldn't speak or write uh, a word of english i think to navigate through all those challenges of living in a community being part of a community which is totally alien to yours and sort of thriving in that culture for two years uh, you know strengthened my belief that i could do things on my own. on and you know i could find solutions and then obviously uh, one thing led to the other i was handling expansion for teach for india which is again a very entrepreneurial um, you know uh, job and again i was into government relations and advocacy which which allows you to sort of go there and sort of create new networks every day so uh, pretty much uh, you know if the, the answer is the entrepreneurial journey is 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 due to the financial crisis i came into education and then because of teach for india i sort of uh, you know tried out uh, various things and took on challenges for which there were not no easy answers so so that is the sort of the start of the journey so as to say when you applied to teach for india did you want to dedicate your life to the education sector did you want to figure out the education sector and uh, did you also uh, were you consciously or subconsciously also thinking of a masters or was that not a distant thought tell us the mindset of a young person and to be honest sukash i won't lie right uh, when you are young uh, you know you are you know self preservation is always important right while societal cause is is something you're working for but in in a country like india self preservation also becomes the need of the hour so i was uh, on one hand focused on what next but at the same time i think 
I was very dedicated to the work I was doing. When I applied to Teach for India, I wanted to figure out why the education sector, the K-12 sector, was not delivering, uh, you know, uh, excellence at that point, right? That was the clarion call given. How can you figure out excellent education in this country? And I think I answered that clarion call at that time. And, and if you look at the ecosystem of what was happening at that point, Anna Hazare was, was out on the streets. Uh, Aam Aadmi Party was trying to be, you know, establish itself uh, in and around Delhi, right? So, so the, the, the whole atmosphere was very congenial towards getting into something which 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 allows you to fulfill uh, the aspirations of 1.3 billion people and that's how i got attracted to it when i got attracted to it it was purely uh, as as a way to express uh, my desire to change the country right with with a with a obviously uh, a self preservation attitude somewhere down the line which which i i would say a lot of people might say uh, you know it 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 shouldn't come but i think it's it's you know obvious that those feelings will come in and you shouldn't be shy uh, to actually have those feelings. I mean, it's okay to, you know, think about your own career, think about how to establish yourself. I don't come from a rich background, right? I come from a very middle-class humble family in terms of humble means, not in terms of anything else, but, but uh, you know, with a high focus on intellectual capital. So, you know, doing a master's degree, uh, completing my education was always on the anvil, but I think... Uh, when it comes to my performance at Teach for India, those two years were dedicated uh, to the cause of Teach for India. Phenomenal. Um, when you, what did you do after Teach for India? Sorry, uh, could you come back again? I lost you there. What did you do after Teach for India? Okay, so my uh, journey after t uh, Teach for India is is uh, sort of uh, you know again born by uh, uh, a sort of a story which sort of uh, unfolded in in my classroom. So uh, thirty five of my sixty students uh, got the the Maharashtra State Scholarship, right? And uh, as things would unfold, none of them got the money in their bank accounts. And parents sort of came to me and said, "You made us stop the madrasa classes, the tuition classes, their playtime. You know, you you call them early, you leave them late, but nothing eventually came in our bank accounts. They even cleared the scholarship, but nothing actually came." Through. So I wrote a petition to the planning commission and that at that time Nandan Nilakani was leading the, uh, you know, Aadhaar project or was starting off uh, with the initial phase. And I wrote to them saying, how can we sort of actually link Aadhaar to the scholarship schemes, right? And ensure that uh, money comes in uh, to the state, to the bank account of these individuals or, or the students without middlemen actually taking away a large chunk of the, the money. And, and that's when I was asked to sort of come and join on secondment from Teach for India, uh, when I, I told Shaheen that I need these three months to actually figure out something which 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 uh, sort of has caused me heartburn because I couldn't sort of deliver uh, to the aspirations of the parents uh, while I asked a lot out of them. Uh, so I, I joined the, uh, the Aadhaar project on secondment from Teach for India and worked on linking the scholarships to the Aadhaar project. Uh, it was the initial phase. Uh, they were also figuring out a lot of things at Aadhaar at that point. Uh, but but I was about, uh, I wrote an approach paper, uh, submitted a plan of action on how to sort of uh, initiate these uh, uh, you know scholarship uh, schemes linked to Aadhaar. And then sort of I uh, came back and Shaheen to, uh, told me at that point, I still remember that we need people to stay back in the movement to build this movement. And again, I said, okay, this is again a clarion call. One needs to answer. It is the need of the hour. If you have been through this movement, you need to get others attracted to the movement. So I set up Teach for India in Ahmedabad, set up Teach for India in Bangalore, uh, and uh, was also leading national government relations and advocacy for Teach for India, which is pretty exciting because I got to represent Teach for India uh, at, uh, you know, the highest uh, eclairs of power uh, with, with bureaucrats, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, H&I, and with with uh, with the government of India uh, in in Delhi, uh, and, and that sort of gave me a lot of uh, understanding of the ecosystem which which operated, uh, you know, because I had to again, uh, you know, ensure, uh, you know, the narrative has to be so strong that they allow you to sort of set up base in in Ahmedabad, in Bangalore. Then then funders are excited about funding that city locally. Then hiring for those teams, recruiting the fellows. So I did the entire journey of actually setting up Teach for India in other places and then sort of 
you know, moved on to this uh, exciting project, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, led by Arc Charity, which was led by Arc Charity, uh, which is a London-based, uh, you know, public-private partnership operator. And we set up something called the Madhya Pradesh School Quality Assurance Program, wherein we uh, sort of looked at 110,000 schools in the system of Madhya Pradesh and how to benchmark quality, uh, 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 you know, within that system of 110,000 uh, schools. So that is something which I did. It was a tripartite agreement between DFID, uh, uh, which is the UK's uh, development arm, uh, national government's development arm, uh, and ARC Charity and the government of Madhya Pradesh. So I was the project manager on that. Again, looking at uh, policy as well as implementation from a, from a systemic lens, uh, both at the Aadhaar as well as uh, with the Madhya Pradesh School Quality Assurance Program. My focus was to look at systemic uh, uh, changes so that's what i did uh, for for after teach for india for about 3 years when did you start thinking actively about masters and why did you look at a masters in policy why not a masters in business um, too many people think about this question you've actually been through the process so tell us in detail what it looks Again, like Again, two things which sort of uh, led me to think about it. In 2014, uh, there was something called campaign management which came to the country uh, with, with Prashant Kishore running a professional campaign. And I started reading about what is campaign management. Suddenly, why is Prashant Kishore leading Narendra Modi's campaign? I mean, you know, what is this campaign management? And that that made me read a lot about the literature which was available and, and, and you know, uh, as the things are, Western world has been able to figure out campaign management better than India, as India has just started the journey in 2014. Whereas Western world campaigns have been professionally run since 1970, uh, if you date back. So I was fascinated by the concept of campaign management, especially political and social campaign management, right? Uh, and and so that is one thing which which I really wanted to study and wanted to learn about. I read a lot of stuff. I knew Steve Jarding, uh, you know, was a campaign manager before. Uh, he actually became a professor at the Kennedy School. I got in touch with him. I wrote to him. I told him, like, if I want to focus uh, on campaign management for two years, uh, and then he recommended me master's in public policy would be the right choice. And then I applied. And the second part was that uh, while I was doing the Madhya Pradesh School Quality Assurance Program, the program was implemented uh, across the state. But uh, when it came to the, you know, the, the longitudinal study, uh, which is called the randomized control trial, uh, there was actually negative growth of the project after two years, right? And that sort of hit me really hard that, you know, you've worked on a project uh, day in and day out for two years. You've sort of told the government that we'll bring about this change and nothing actually happened, right? And where was this failure, right? I mean, what was the sort of the uh, the the key gaps in skills from my side, from the government, from the negotiations, uh, you know, which led to this uh, sort of failure that we regressed actually after two years. So it was one failure and one curiosity angle of campaign management, which sort of led me to apply to masters in public policy. Uh, and, uh, you know, since I was talking to Steve Jarding, I only applied to the Harvard Kennedy School at that point and uh, sort of uh, got through. And what was the process of, uh, um, now you've picked the professor, you've picked the program, you've thought about it, but campaign management, ed tech, learning, policy, I mean, these are not, this is not a straight line. And I'm, uh, it's something that keeps coming up in aspiring policy professionals' life. Life isn't a straight line. A policy career isn't a straight line. So uh, talk to us about the process of writing an application when you've done so many different things. How do you put together a compelling narrative? Sure. Uh, I'll first talk to you about, uh, you know, the policy professional's life not being straight. It's actually right. You've hit the nail right on the head. The policy professional is juggling with multiple things. A, you're dealing with public opinion on one side, a, you know, political narrative on the other side. You're looking at service delivery on the other side, right? And you're, you know, you sort of... Uh, you know, you don't have a straight line of, of saying, okay, this is what I do, right? As a public professional, you are, uh, you know, as I say, a jack of all and master of none. Uh, you know, even if you're a specialist in campaign management, you're still looking at concepts like, you know, speech writing, which is a purely, you know, uh, media communications thing, right? You're also looking at managing the media, you're looking at raising funds, which is totally different fundraising, right? So, so I would say, uh, you know, when it comes to even campaign management, you're juggling multiple things. And when it comes to the whole ambit of public policy, 
Nancy, you're absolutely right. You're doing multiple things at the same time, right? Uh, and and it's not easy to write an application in this sense. I mean, what what I then uh, did was I focused on linking education, which was my sort of uh, experience coming into political campaign management, and I wrote this case study uh, sort of on how political reforms uh, are linked to uh, you know uh, sort of the education reforms are linked to political future. Right, which was actually the Delhi model of governance. Right, so I actually made a case in my application that once you ensure that the narrative in 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 the in the country or in a state is is around education, healthcare, infrastructure, and you start waiting elections on that, then only service delivery will happen because. Uh, uh, you know, you understand this concept of just gestation period, right? Education, healthcare, everything is a long gestation period. When you make investment into it, the returns take time to fructify, right? And that is the issue why education never became an agenda, right? But with the Amadmi Party government in Delhi, that sort of came on the forefront, right? So I made the case of, you know, if, if politicians were to run, uh, you know, campaigns on education, then I would like to run their campaign, right? That was my sort of the dream, right? That if I could have a bunch of 10, 12 politicians in this country who subscribe to a common minimum agenda of education reforms, I would run their campaign for free, right? So, so and that was my sort of the centerpiece of the application or rather sort of the crescendo of the work I'd done and the, and the, the knowledge I'd gained about campaign management uh, on, on, on how education outcomes can be linked to political outcomes, right? So that's how... I sort of linked campaigns and education and policy. And at that time, uh, you know, uh, we had very limited understanding of how to apply for policy schools. Now, obviously, uh, it's been six, eight years since I, I have been in this uh, field. And when I sort of, uh, you know, recommend uh, people, I, I tell them that the narrative has to be compelling to your heart first, right? If the narrative isn't compelling to your own heart, you don't believe in that narrative, then the, the application reader will see through it and will not sort of uh, take you in. So I think if you, if you ask me the mantra for success of writing a policy application, it's, it's mostly uh, the fact that you're able to compel, have a compelling argument to yourself your peers, your you know your your uh, people who are sort of reviewing your application before it goes through. If you're able to convince them that you have a compelling argument and you have skills which you need to learn from the school, you will most definitely get it. That's really good advice. So first, uh, making sure that you are satisfied and you're truly convinced, and then moving on to other things. So what have we heard so far? You were intentional about, you know, reaching out to potential mentors. You were intentional about, you know, driving a compelling narrative and thinking through how your work uh, connects with the larger story. Um, but still, there is a process of looking at different sets of experiences. Some people talk about peaks. Some people talk about, you know, bringing out your real story. So what was the writing process you employed, Prateek? to bring out the story that okay. first appealed to your heart and then appealed to Harvard. Okay, I, I, am, uh, I am a firm believer of, uh, you know, uh, your life uh, sort of defines who you are, right? Of what you've done before defines uh, the character or the value systems you sort of ascribe to right now, right? Uh, and growing up, I sort of uh, moved around a fair bit because my dad was in a public sector bank. I, I sort of changed 10 schools uh, in, in K-12 education. And every year, uh, you know, there were varying quality of education I was getting access to. Uh, I mean, it, it'll come to, uh, it can be a surprise to you as well if I tell you that uh, till grade ninth I couldn't speak a word of English, right? Because my quality of education was so, uh, you know, dependent on the the place where my dad was posted. I couldn't really settled. I was conscious about uh, speaking English until I came to uh, this elite school in Chandigarh uh, for last three years, wherein, uh, you know, there was a premium uh, put on actually speaking English. And there were teachers who could guide you to actually get out of that, uh, you know, uh, zone of being so conscious about public speaking or speaking English uh, with a command um, that I could actually speak English. And that sort of uh, was ingrained in me uh, pretty early on. A, you know, success in education uh, is is fairly dependent on your school, right? It's fairly dependent on how your your teachers or the ecosystem guides you uh, through, and 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 that sort of led me to be in the education sector in the first place. When when it hit me that okay, you know, I have dealt 
with higher education but if you look at what is higher education higher education is is taking forward what k12 education did for you right if the baton was not passed properly from k12 to higher education then then the chances are that you will struggle you will not win the race right so if if k12 12 years we've not been able to give good education to a child we can't expect the the college or the masters degree to sort of turn around uh, drastically uh, who, the, what the individual is and then that sort of stuck with me so in my application i actually stressed on the fact that you know in my life had i not uh, gotten access to that elite school for 3 years i would have never been able to uh, you know uh, go to uh, narsimunji you know you know top the university do public speaking do debating right become this sort of uh, you know uh, uh, you know a social person uh, to be who has a personality right all these things sort of came in uh, to peace when when i started teaching right and and when my students lacked all of it what i had lacked in my life right and that sort of uh, completes the whole circle of why the importance of education to me because i had seen uh, what these students were seeing when i saw them uh, on the first day and and i sort of worked with them to sort of get them to a position where they were fairly confident and were could thrive uh, in their life so so I, the application starts with linking it to your own personal journey right of what you've sort of seen been through right uh, what are the sort of those uh, the moments in your life wherein you've sort of uh, you know had eureka moments right as they say right so and that sort of is linked to then the future of how what those learnings have been you would want to make uh, something uh, you know which is transformation right and which is transformative and and this idea of linking you know political outcomes to education outcomes meant that you know you could secularize quality education across the country right you could no longer be you know a, a chandigarh or a pune or a bombay or a delhi would have excellent education but if you were in raipur if you are in sort of jharsukda or or you know in remote parts of of uh, you know maharashtra interior maharashtra that you would never be able to speak english you'll never be able to have personality you'll never be able to do anything right so how do you create this narrative that education outcomes can be linked to your political future member of parliament or an mla sir or madam and then sort of link it back and say that you you know the the, the fruits of the education could be taken to the entire country right uh, and that's how excellent education could one day become a dream a reality a dream could become a reality right so so i linked my own journey to the to the future which i wanted to build for this own country what was the hardest part of writing the application because there's it's not easy to bring out one part of the story is for it to be in your head uh, the other part of it is to be on the paper i think first of all i would tell others uh, not to fall in the coaching trap i think uh, do get your uh, things reviewed right for grammar do get it reviewed for sentence uh, uh, you know uh, but don't don't sort of ask people to give you ideas right your ideas have to be your own right uh, you know a lot of these time people ask me can you share your application right and that's that's where i sort of tell them that you're doing yourself more harm than good right by asking for my application because it will sort of limit your thought process it will sort of uh, you know put you in that box already uh, and it will be very difficult to get out of the box so i think what i did was uh, i still remember very vividly that i used to put charts all across in my room right for various things one for cv one for you know uh, recommendations one for you know uh, my own uh, first essay second essay third essay and then you know during the day whenever i used to get a thought i used to put it down there right and and what i was always asking myself is whatever you've done and with this degree as well you know what will you even do right you have to answer that question before going in not not while you are there or not when you are leaving you have to answer that question right here right now when you are writing the application of, of you know how will this world become different you know once you have this degree right how will you be different yeah. once you have degree right and if you're able to sort of capture that in the application and and it takes multiple iterations i tell you what you you sort of junk your right own idea sometimes you like this is not this is not possible this is not doable right this will not be the fastest way the country can grow or the country can change right so you have to keep talking to yourself you have to keep jotting down your thoughts and and i think with this iterative process of you know writing in multiple times you you usually tend to get to your own idea but one thing you should not do is go to others for advice in terms of what what should i write in my application right how should my story be in time right how should it tie and then you know the worst is asking somebody for their applications in advance and reading them and then then being petrified that i don't have a story 
to tell and never force fit your story right saying oh i need a story right i i am not had that experience in my life but i need to create that do not create that because you get caught right they are used to reading applications right i have spoken to many uh, counselors over the years when they 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 it's their bread uh, you know butter right they they see through an application when it's sort of uh, being bluffed at right because they connect everything they connect the cv they connect you know what you've written in your second essay first essay third essay you know to to you know actually your uh, you know even your uh, work experience education everything is linked right so i would say uh, don't fall for these traps uh, be true to yourself and have that narrative which excites you it should be a hair raising experience for you before it's an hair raising experience for the reader i love this framework of uh, it you know first inspiring you then looking at another person and then not trying to look for uh, copying another person's goals and really trying to you know portray your dream and connecting with your stories i think at a broad level people sort of know it but uh, subconsciously i think some counselors uh, have spread this myth that unless and until you put in some buzzwords you'll not get in like honestly like when you when you hear these things you feel like laughing but uh, i don't think any university or any top university is basically a buzzword factory Uh, they're not looking for people who can you know put one buzzword one after the other they're looking for authentic stories and there are of course some ways to optimize it but uh, i think it starts with a lot of reflection so we on network capital in our masters and mba boot camps by the way you should uh, come take a class uh, next uh, you know after a month or two we focus a lot on helping people reflect and create their category of one um that's you know the one sentence theory that we use uh, as an overarching process so um you apply to one school you got into that school um then comes the funding aspect what were the funding avenues available um what route did you go to and how did that feel i tell you what funding was even more difficult than getting into the school i think uh, it hits you hard when you actually get in and you are asked the question of depositing that uh, or showing that money in your account and that's where you were like okay this is the toughest hurdle yet i'm yet to cross because let me be honest okay i don't want to paint a very rosy picture that everybody gets a scholarship right uh, even though i got it i'll tell you how difficult it was for me as well i applied to this uh, internal scholarships by harvard kennedy school and and got uh, pretty much nothing right i don't know the reason never asked never told right uh but i applied to an external scholarship called the joint japan world bank scholarship right and uh, uh you know that year the result was delayed by two months and i didn't know that the result was delayed i thought i didn't get selected nobody reached out again to me uh because they didn't have an interview process you just had to complete an application submit recommendation and that's it you know it was a black hole you would never hear back from them uh even a message to say that your application has been submitted won't come right so i thought okay i mean uh i started looking at loans there is you know there were a couple of these uh, you know uh, local uh, harvard union uh, credit union loans then there was this bank of america loan then there's proti uh, some protivity kind of a, a loan which which uh, gives you collateral free loans but okay i thought okay i'll take a collateral free loan i had a cosigni uh, in in us who sort of signed my loan and i was like okay we'll pay back the loan uh, i knew the degree would end up costing me around 1.2 1.3 cr without the interest uh, being factored in but uh, you know being a middle class uh, uh, boy everyone in the society was excited that you're going to harvard uh, little did they know that it was a trap if i had to pay for it right because you know it takes about um, easily about 8 to 10 years if you're even earning well to pay off uh, such a hefty loan especially if you're working in india right and that was my uh, you know always the aim that i wanted to come back to india so i like a naive child took the loan right uh, you know applied for the visa everything was done and lo and behold suddenly i uh, hear back from joint japan world bank scholarship i still remember it was 2 am at night i had woken up uh, you know to drink uh, water and suddenly you know you are in the habit of checking your phone you you open up your phone and see uh, there's a mail saying congratulations you've been selected and everything is paid for 
and you know sometimes you like it's a delirium you're actually you know uh, still in your sleep and you're daydreaming or you know you're actually dreaming not daydreaming you're actually dreaming right and and i read the thing twice thrice opened the scholarship letter called up my parents and and it was very difficult i pinched myself actually i pinched myself and i asked my roommate at that time could you pinch me to to actually believe that i had gotten a 1.5 cr scholarship right but the journey was not easy i'll tell you why because scholarships for indian students are pretty limited right uh, because uh, you know they they what are they could you give us a lay of the land yeah, yeah i can give you the lay of the land so there are these eternal scholarships every center at uh, uh, kennedy school so kennedy has a lot of centers centers for public policy uh, public leadership center for asian studies center for you know uh, journalism center for politics right they have these various centers and every center is very well funded and endowed right so they have their own scholarships right um, so i obviously to uh, the public policy fellowships wherein education was an important factor wherein politics was an important factor wherein working in your own country was an important factor so every uh, scholarship has a sort of what you say a theme right uh, and you only so so if there is a you know black women uh, fellowship uh, you know they are trying to promote black women into public policy so women in uh, black women or women of color in public policy is 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 the theme of that uh, scholarship they are trying to promote uh, you know uh, mexican americans uh, you know in public policy that's the theme of the policy right so as it is uh, you know we fit in as indians into very limited brackets right i mean hardly you know there's one for education i remember and one for you know uh, public leadership in your own country right so a handful of scholarships you could apply to i got rejected for everything world bank scholarship uh, joint japan world bank scholarship is is uh, you know far uh, overarching in its in its uh, sort of uh, you know domain you could anyone uh, you willing to do public policy masters in public policy is applicable for it so it's not restricted to sort of any domain uh, but anybody who wants to study this subject and has a compelling argument gets paid so again my argument uh, of of linking political outcomes to education outcomes at that point was pretty sort of uh, you know uh, what you say not so obvious as as it is today right that you could gain politically if you invest in education right so uh, that sort of they they picked up on that and i got that scholarship but again my advice to people applying abroad is relying on scholarships from day one is is not a good practice right because because uh, you know 100 people get in and about five get the scholarship and that too not everybody gets full scholarship i had the rub of the green going my way and i say this uh you know i i don't have the merit i don't have anything aptitude uh, to to get a 1.5 crore scholarship it is just purely the rub of the green going my way because everybody who gets into kennedy has a compelling argument so i won't say oh my argument was very compelling right it it may just have factored you know at that time they must have felt it is the most compelling argument but everybody who applies to these colleges is is coming there to actually change the world not you not the only one you who will say that i have a fantastic idea that changes changes the world right so i would say it is it is a toss uh, toss up uh, between you getting it or not getting it right uh, chances are that uh, you will have to pay through your education at least for the first year because you can actually teach become an ra uh, do jobs at the library and at least pay off your living right but you'll have to sort of take up tuition uh, uh, fee loan uh, and a uh, good thing is that uh, schools like kennedy uh, and columbia if you if you work in your own country if you work with non profits they actually uh, pay back uh, your loan at least a part of it over the next 5 years right so so there is a sort of a plan to sort of pay back the loan by the uh, by the university from its grants if you are doing uh, what you are supposed to do after a public policy degree right so so uh, that's that's the whole uh, narrative around scholarships so what's your advice like uh, to people applying for scholarships like you obviously got into an extremely competitive uh, fully funded uh, scholarship um did you send in the same application yes. or roughly yes. the same application story um yes. i'll tell you utkarsh why again i come back to the point the narrative was so strong to me and i was so convinced that i didn't feel the need to change it right you can't have uh, you know uh, different strokes no what i meant was that uh, yeah. what i meant was that did you highlight your financial needs or uh, anything of that sort okay, or you okay. submitted okay. by and large income, the same thing i had worked in a non profit for 6 years utkarsh before i got got it right so so that becomes an important criteria these 
scholarships ask you whether you've worked at least two or three years in non-profit. I'd worked six years in a non-profit, right? So, so income was never going to be a concern for them. I had not, I had pretty much not earned anything. I was, uh, you know, literally and figuratively a jhola wala, right? If you looked at me also, you'll realize there was no suit in at that point, uh, you know, that, uh, that could say that I was earning a lot of money and neither was my income tax returns reflecting anything of that sort, right? So A, the narrative was same. B, uh, income uh, factor becomes, they, they do look at need in a big way. So it's a merit and need scholarship. You are, you have to be meritorious. You have to have scored. So I had done pretty well in my 10th, 12th. I topped the university and gotten good GRE score. So academically, I was pretty strong. My narrative was strong. And then obviously the need was high because six years I had not earned a single penny or saved a single penny, uh, right? So so these three, three things have to fall in place. You have to do be academically brilliant. You have to have a good narrative. You obviously have to get an admission. And then, uh, you know, you have to sort of show the need as well. Excellent. How did you go about choosing your referees? Oh, very good question. <laughs> I just called up Shaheen and told her that I have worked only with you. I have no other option. Right. And uh, she said, I don't write many recommendations. Other I've only written one uh, in, in all these years at Teach for India. So she said, okay, let me give it a thought, uh, you know, because uh, and and why I'm saying this, it's, this becomes important is when you when you have somebody like Shaheen, right? You don't have to write your recommendation. A lot of people actually fall into this trap. When I write recommendation, they, they say, okay, should I send you a draft? I'm like, for what? Right? For what? You're asking me for a recommendation. I should be the one writing it, right? So have somebody who can actually write well, right? Have somebody who cares for you right have somebody who has that same investment level which you have for the degree right who believes that you can be an asset if you get this degree right so my choice was pretty simple i trusted shaheen i knew that she was invested in me i knew she writes beautifully nobody writes sort of better than her i know who would write better than her and uh, you know and 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 at the same time i didn't have to write that recommendation for her i didn't have to submit a draft to her right uh, so that was one choice uh, my second choice was, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, uh, manager at ARC, wherein I had, uh, you know, specifically, you know, failed a lot. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I knew that uh, I needed this degree. So I went up to them and said, okay, if I failed a lot and uh, I need the, uh, you to write this recommendation for me to actually learn something which which can which I can come back and utilize, right? So I think for me, it was, again, um, people who trust me, know me, who care for me, who know that I speak from the heart and, and care for that kind of attitude, right? For me, it was, uh, I never had linked so much or put so much pressure that, you know, this is the end of life for me that if I don't get into Kennedy, I mean, any middle-class boy applying to a Kennedy, right? Uh, you don't sort of uh, tie too much to, to the dream saying, okay, this will happen for me. It is always an elusive thing which you're trying to chase, but it, it's never certain, uh, certainly becomes the, the be-all end-all for me, right? So I was talking pretty much from the heart in my application, pretty much uh, from the heart to my recommenders and my recommenders cared for that attitude, right? My recommenders put in a lot of effort in writing the recommendation. I, I obviously haven't read the recommendation because um, I, I, um, there's an option that you, do you want to read the recommendation or do you not want to read the application uh, recommendation? I didn't want to read it because the, the fact that I would obviously judge them uh, if I don't get in, right? So I, I wanted to maintain those ties with them. So people who you really care for, who, will, who are invested in your future, who you will stay in touch with uh, for the rest of your life, Right. And, and obviously, you know, who are at good positions, you don't want to take somebody who's, who's, uh, a gives a lot of recommendations to that same school every year, you know, has recommended people who've not gotten in before. Right. So those, those permutation combinations now I feel are important when I don't write more than one recommendation per school every year. So if somebody comes to me for a recommendation for Howard Kennedy school, uh, I actually sort of have to decide which one to sort of write for and in that year, right. Cause, uh, if you write for three or four people, chances are that the school will sort of not value a recommendation. Right? It is just because you can't give 2%, top 2%, top 2% to every candidate who you recommend, right? So so for, for me, I think all these factors were really, really important of who, who the person is before uh, writing that uh, recommendation. Thank you so much for sharing. This will help a lot of our prospective uh, candidates. Uh, so recommendations done, you're, uh, you're finally in uh, one big journey is taken care of. Uh, then you arrive at the Kennedy School with a vision, right? How were the two years and uh, what were uh, 
the high level takeaways and then we'll dive deep into them because to be honest i was like a deer caught in headlights on the day one i didn't know what hit me because uh, you know the kind of education level we had seen or sort of consumed in india and on day one when you are sitting in a classroom full of high achievers full of people uh, and there's a professor who's obviously won a nobel laureate uh, who's a nobel laureate right and not one everybody who you bump into is either a nobel laureate or a, or a you know a, a person of uh, note noteworthiness in their own country right so and 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 at that time it hits you right okay why am i here am, am i an imposter right am i do i deserve to be here or and what will i even do to survive in these two years right so, so i think existential questions uh, you know hit you really hard once you are there at least for the first couple of months you are trying to just you know tell yourself survive these one next one or next two months don't even think of the next two years right and slowly you try to you know find your feet make friends understand other people's journey i think one of the reasons of going to a school like kennedy is the the peers right the kind of people who you meet the kind of journeys they've had uh, you know the kind of uh, you know uh, interest areas which they have which may be totally different from yours right but but gives you that other perspective right so that is something which which i sort of uh, started with in 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 the first two years knowing my cohort knowing people around me knowing other nationalities knowing their food knowing their culture to be honest i did not even know the how to different, differentiate a japanese food from a chinese food that's how naive i was that's how you know uncultured i was to to sort sort of admit but you know to to actually spend time with japanese spend time with koreans some spend time with you know you know uh, people of chinese descent uh, you know uh, the main uh, the hong kongers what is the difference between hong kong and china what are their issues i had zero clue and it really hits you hard when you actually meet them right uh, you know you can't really tell uh, you know a person of an asian descent chinese right you know for us you know indians who are uncultured like me who have not been sort of uh, coming from that you know the, the elite culture we, we we what what is it we call them chinese right and the first couple of times i also said chinese and then i realized no you know they're koreans japanese so understanding these complexities of cultures complexities of their own issues right and then you know trying to mirror them with your own issues in your own country right that was fascinating and and then you know ability to actually talk to a professor i think uh, you know in india professors are you know obviously you know there but there 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 is a one dimensional one way traffic conversation happening like it's a one way traffic they speak and you listen and you make notes they're actually you're allowed to express your thoughts you're allowed to challenge the professor you can actually challenge a professor and the professor would politely tell you and say let's take this offline over beer in the evening right and like okay professor has called you for a beer in the evening is that even happening right and then the professor would tell you my cabin is always open and it's actually open right and you can spend hours and hours and professor would leave all their work and sort of intellectually hold you where you need to be held and that was sort of a sea change for me because you know i had uh, been uh, brought up in a very rugged environment to say uh, the least and and to me getting all these advantages and not paying for it and not uh, you know struggling to work after uh, you know college allowed me to savor in a lot more things right uh, i used to attend a lot of these lectures so the the education at kennedy is not just about lectures it's about uh, you know lectures in the which you sort of taken the subjects you take uh, the, there are lectures happening all across the campus about 100 of them on in any given day which you can choose from which which could range from politics policy gender you know uh, you name it and and there'll be a top speaker coming and addressing you right so i took advantage of all these things uh, mostly because of free food as well sometime because you know food is free when you attend these session seminars after after class but but i learned a lot right from these and and that is something which i hold really dear to my experience right these two years i i learned a lot about other cultures i learned a lot about other uh, you know people's uh, other countries problems and how similar or dissimilar they are from ours right and and uh, and just the ability to you know chew your professor's mind uh, and sort of uh, you know be around them uh, you know 24 hours if you want uh, sort of allowed me to sort of be who i am today did your career goals change at all um, while you were at the kennedy school 
No, I actually worked with Steve Jarding uh, for two years. I actually helped him in his campaigns, which he was running across the world. He was running a, a campaign with Akhilesh Yadav uh, in, in Samajwadi Party at that time, which was a miserable uh, sort of campaign because uh, Akhilesh Yadav lost badly. So I was part of the research uh, at that time, learning the tricks of the trade from him at that time. I started Citizens for Public Leadership uh, to sort of groom uh, the next generation of policy leaders in India. Because whenever I used to talk to people in India, they're like, okay, this kind of policy education is not available. How do we get access to? So I sort of became the bridge between the knowledge which I was gaining at Kennedy or the people who were giving me that knowledge and the, the consumers on this side. So I started CPL pretty early on in my uh, you know journey at Kennedy. A lot of professors, a uh, lot of people in the ecosystem who I met came in handy at that time. Uh, the best part about uh, uh, you know being at Kennedy is the ecosystem supports you. They want to incub incubate you. They want you to succeed. It's not a sort of a rat stuck in a well uh, kind of a mentality wherein if you can't get out uh, you know uh, I'll make sure the other also can't get out so everybody supports everybody your your peers uh, come in really handy to support you so I think I took advantage of all that I set up CPL uh, my career goals were pretty much tied to campaign management uh, I, I came back and uh, you know I obviously was uh, invested in education I worked in Liberia with the Minister of Education in Liberia I was the first intern after Ebola to go to Liberia, uh, I learned behavioral economics, uh, which was a new skill uh, and a pretty upcoming skill. And that very year, Nobel Prize was given for behavioral economics. Uh, uh, and, and one of my uh, behavioral economics professors, mentor actually got it. So I, I learned a lot about you know, behavioral economics at that time, how it's linked to education, how it's linked to campaigns, how it's linked to politics, right? So, so centerpiece was always campaigns and, and politics, but I built my and you know watch just the skills in terms of writing communication because i i never so what what you're seeing today i was not so confident about talking like this right so so professors at kennedy actually made me uh you know uh, uh, sharpen my narrative how i speak how i present myself how i carry myself so it is proper finishing school at the end right they teach you how to write op-eds Right. So I focused all these, uh, you know, soft skills around, around the campaign management and education field. And I'm still uh, sort of working in this uh, field of campaign management uh, and uh, education. Fantastic. So CPL was started while you were there. Um, it continues to do the wonderful work that it does. Uh, so you graduate and what's on your mind? How do you think of your uh, career after graduation? What options were there in front of you? And imagine if you didn't have that scholarship, right? Mm -hmm. When you were say under a debt of say a crore and a half, how might you have gone or what have you seen people who have to actually pay back the loan? What do they do? Fascinating questions. I think uh, you actually taking back me, taking me back to 2018, uh, you know, February, uh, I was leading, I was the chair of the uh, Harvard India conference, which is one of the largest conferences uh, in US, uh, uh, you know, focused on any one country. So and it gets about, you know, 2,000, 3,000 people per day to attend and about 180, 190 top speakers from India. So I was the chair of that conference. Uh, you know, around me, there was pandemonium. And they, why was there a pandemonium, right? The pandemonium is everybody was running pillar to post to get uh, an interview. Right, to get into McKinsey, BCG, you know, to get into their dream jobs, right? And I was there looking after this conference, raising money for it, trying to get the best speakers in, right? Trying to make this conference historic, right? Uh, and why was that so? Because I never had the pressure of a job, right? I think the worst mistake uh, you can do, and I, I'll tell you, uh, I'll, I'll sort of challenge my own thought in a bit as well. The worst mistake you can do is actually to look for a job when you are at a place like Harvard from the day you, you get into it, right? A lot of people fall into the trap. I challenge myself and say they will fall into that trap. When you have a loan, when you know you have a loan of around 1.5 CR on your back and it is only going to compound if you don't pay it uh, in time, you will start to look for a job. So in a way, I'm answering the question by saying that having a scholarship allowed me to try out whatever I want. People went to do their internships at McKinsey thinking they'll get a job. I pushed myself and I went to Liberia. The internship with Minister of Education in Liberia wouldn't have got me a job. Right. But I was chasing experiences. Right. People were chasing, uh, you know, jobs because they had loans. I was chasing experiences because I was getting a stipend of twenty two two hundred dollars a month, despite uh, my education being paid for insurance, being paid for visa, being paid for flights, being paid for. I was getting actually earning money while I was uh, at, at Kennedy. Right. And that sort of allowed me to spread my wings and see 
push myself to do what I can, right? I uh, participated in the Harvard India conference in the first year to, to tell you out of the 30 students who come in, only about 10 students participate in, in, uh, in the Harvard India conference, right? In the second year, that number even drops because people want to focus on their own sort of jobs uh, in the next year. So, so, you know, when I was leading this conference, I was fully focused on, on getting the work done at the conference and making this conference successful. And coincidentally, my job came in from one of the speakers uh, because I was so involved in having passionate conversations with the speaker. Uh, the speaker asked me, what is your plan? And I said, oh, good question. I haven't started thinking. Once you go back, once you all go back and safely reach home, I will start thinking of my plan. And uh, and that person just uh, told me that, why don't you hit me up and we'll set you, uh, sub, uh, set you up in India, right? And then that's how I got my job. I had no interview. No, nothing. I was just talking uh, about an experience I'd had at Kennedy, uh, rather the case study of that person's company. And uh, I just happened to point out a few things which could be done. And that person just told me, you know, very casually, why don't you do these things then at, at my company once you're back? So so I would say uh, I, I, this is not just pure luck. It is, it is in part uh, the ability or the muscle given by the scholarship to me that I need to explore, I need to not worry about things. Even if I don't have a job for six months, nothing's gonna change because there's no loan on my head, right? So I was sort of, in a way, when there was pandemonium around me, I was sort of, uh, you know, looking at the tunnel vision of, of doing the conference really well. And, and what you talk about network capital, that was my network capital, right? Doing that conference because whoever came in, right, knew that I was the chair of this conference conference and you know i got exclusive time with them uh you know during the conference and had those conversations which led me to do 100 other things which i'm doing right now awesome and uh, what are you doing today and what's keeping you up at night Great. So I, my day job uh, and one which I really love is uh, I work as the head of strategic partnerships at Educate Girls. Uh, I look after the advocacy uh, and government relations for one of the largest nonprofits in India, uh, which is sort of focused on girls' education. Uh, it is an audacious project. If, if your listeners would want to go ahead and Google, it was the first company in Asia to win that uh, you know hundred million dollar audacious prize. Uh, in US, and I was part of the the funding proposal. Writing in, uh, you know, I've I've helped the the the, the company establish in in uh, Uttar Pradesh, in Madhya Pradesh, in Rajasthan, get their legal uh, memorandum of understanding, the policy work going right, and and sort of their communication with their first development impact bond. They, the Educate Girls was also the first company to do uh, a development Im impact bond in education, right? And I was sort of at the communication part. Uh, part of it when I was secularizing the idea of a development impact bond with the government, with other stakeholders. So, so I dabbled between ed, uh, advocacy, communications, fundraising, uh, and government relations. So that is my sort of day job. Uh, I obviously, uh, you know, I'm the founder of uh, Citizens for Public Leadership. Uh, I have a great team, uh, you know, who, which, which sort of leads, uh, you know, and spreads the movement of public policy across the country to get more youngsters uh, who we can sort of help get. Like, like I... I'm very lucky to be who I am today and I want others who aspire to be in public policy to get that knowledge, skills and networks which I got uh, at the Kennedy School. So that is one thing which is going on. And my latest initiative is Scotland School of Public Policy. It is uh, India's answer, hopefully, to Harvard Kennedy School. If, if uh, you know, 100 people today apply to a Harvard Kennedy School, only five get in, what happens to that 95, right? How can we retain them in India? How can we give them the same education, uh, public policy education in India at a fraction of a cost so that people don't have debt? So I'm trying to answer that question, which you just asked me, what happened if you didn't have a scholarship, right? I actually worry about that, uh, you know, even today, right? I it, it still I still wake up sometimes with a nightmare thinking I never had a scholarship, right? And that is what I want to change for the next generation. I want to ensure that great public policy education with people from Harvard, Stanford, the best professors from India can be given at a fraction of a cost in a campus which looks like Harvard Business School, uh, you know, interiors, exteriors, everything. Like, how do you make India the next higher education hub, uh, especially in the public policy field, is something which I'm trying to crack. And with Cotterley School of Public Policy, at least, uh, you know, our endeavor uh, is to make, uh, uh, you know, India's answer to Harvard Kennedy School in the next couple of years. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Pratik, this has been uh, inspiring, candid, really reflective. Thanks so much for your uh, masterclass. Uh, we look forward to hosting you as faculty in one of our public policy fellowships because you rightly identified there's a huge demand 
uh, one from the country to have more policy leaders, but also from students who want to build out meaningful careers at the intersection of, say, civic organizations, the government, uh, nonprofits, and perhaps the private sector. So more power to you. We really appreciate what you do and what you have done thus far. Thank you. And, and you know, I could say the same about you. What you built is, is nothing short of a revolution. And I hope uh, you know, uh, my ventures uh, end up as successful as yours. So yeah, happy to sort of partner in whatever we, are, we can. We are one team. I think uh, that's the important idea, right? Yep. Thanks so much. We really Thank you and have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.